0: Tonight, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. We're reading at verses 13 through 17. And uh, if you're visiting tonight, uh, we are concluding um, a series that we have done on human sexuality in our day, living through the, the sexual revolution that we are. And we come to what is really the important question and answer, the last one, the little catechism that I wrote. I do have a stack of these in my study, so i have some, so please see me after if you'd like them, and um, we can go get those. So, but this is question 41 tonight. I'd like to read the very final question of the catechism that I wrote on human sexuality that really is dealing with witness. That's the right um, note to end the catechism with, and the question is, how do we love those who live in sexual sin? That's important distinction, living in it apart from any repentance and justifying it And the answer is we should not avoid or shun those who are mastered by sexual sin. Instead, we should speak the truth in love about sexual sin, repentance, and faith in Christ. Give witness to the deliverance God gave us from our own sins and perform acts of kindness. By our godly living, we should seek to win over our neighbors to Christ. And with that tonight is 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense or to give an answer to Him who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. May the Lord bless the hearing of his word tonight. Well, tonight we uh, conclude our study in human sexuality. We have indeed covered a a lot of ground, and this has sort of um, been some time picking this back up again uh, as we conclude this series on this last note of witness. But looking at the movement itself, we've looked at all of the, the challenges that have come with this. We've tried to dive into this, difficult as it has been, to understand the movement, to look at all the crucial questions of the movement coming with identity and gender confusion and marriage and all these things that, that have come at us that have sought to, to change Uh, the good design that God put in place at creation for our our benefit. But I think we have to keep in front of us one of the main purposes that we have uh, in understanding all that's happening and giving thought and reflection to all that is happening, giving serious thought to it, because the issue that is before us is how to help people out of these things. I mean, that's an important question And important issue that we have to to tackle. To think about how to help people out of, of these things. And we've already looked at why that's necessary. So I hope I've laid that foundation as to why people need to be delivered out of it. But tonight it has everything to do with Christian witness. Christian witness. In other words, a lot of people talk of evangelism. I think witness is a great word in addressing this subject. We tend to think... Of witness or evangelism as sort of these one off conversations about how to tell people how to be saved. And so we have made this somewhat of a burdensome conversation and a burdensome thing. Um, As if I think it was Dr. Godfrey um, said some time ago, God gave the Great Commission so that we would all be distressed about this, right? No, of course not. But we carry this burden with us. How are we to help people out of this? There's obviously a lot more to it. Witness today has everything to do with understanding the challenges and the different ways in which darkness has overcome people's lives. I mean, we've got to think about that, which requires, in many respects today, not just simply handing out a track and thinking that that's going to really work for people. They're tired of sort of approaches of, I've said before, um, you, you rarely see today people coming to the door anymore Because everything's a sales pitch. Everything's a sales pitch. You're going to have to know people and get to know people and help people through these things. But how the darkness has particularly overcome people's lives and to have the concern to give an answer for the hope that is in you. That's Peter's language. I'll come back to that. But that's the goal tonight. Christ left us here to be witnesses. That's essentially why we're left here when Jesus said, You are my witnesses. Father, I I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The purpose for life, the purpose is because he left us to be his witnesses, because he's gathering in his elect from all four winds of heaven. He is saving to the ends of the earth. He is gathering a people to himself. And he does this through the witness of the church, through the witness of his people. Now that's the goal tonight. What does that specifically look like in the face of of the sexual revolution. Obviously, there's many ways you could go with witness and the different challenges of people who are are living in particular sins in their lives. But a few of you came to me this morning and already said, I'm grateful that you are addressing this to son uh, tonight because, and I, I know, I knew what was coming. My son or my daughter or my grandchild has chosen to live in this. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to address these things. And maybe um, you're worried about that tonight. Maybe you're a grandparent and you have a granddaughter who has chosen to live in one of these letters and has chosen to pursue that as their life and identity. Well, what I want to do tonight is, is think about a practical look at sort of Christian witness on these struggles. And the basic point, of course, is that that's really up front. The most important thing is simply that we care, you know, that we care about these things. God calls us to be faithful witnesses and help people see why following Jesus Christ matters, why it's so much better. We've got to have a reason to provide that for people. We've got to believe those things ourselves. We've got to to be able to show in our lives why this matters for people. And that it's actually affected us and changed us for it to be a blessing to them. And that there is real freedom in this. Real freedom in this. And that brings me to this final question and answer tonight that I drafted. How do we love those who are living in sin? Notice that I, um, I use the word love in the question and answer because there are certainly are um, responsibilities when it comes to our Christian witnesses to those we have an opportunity to influence and speak the truth on these issues. There are two kinds of, I think, ditches, two ditches today that we fall into when it comes to addressing sin in other people's lives. Um, the first ditch is is that of what is really just compliant submission on these issues. I think today you know when it comes to the issue of sexual immorality, we are catechized on the concept of love. And love is taken, and love is abused, and love is misunderstood, and love is applied in ways that, that the Scriptures do not use love. So we're told that love is done when we evidence or support somebody by saying or doing nothing or acting as if the problem doesn't exist. That's not love, of course. It's not love. (laughs) um, That is complete and total compromise in the face of pressure to tolerate sin. And that's what makes it hard. Because what do we do about relationships? What do we do about those whom we know who are pursuing these things. How do we handle that? Love is not sitting around, of course, and hoping someone will change. We just hope. Obviously, it has a lot to do with prayer. But love is not inactive. Uh, When you hear the modern approach to, to love, what they're simply saying is, don't say anything, don't judge me, leave me alone. And those are the terms upon which our relationship can exist. Those are the terms on which a relationship can exist so long as there is no continued threat to what I have chosen to do. So they have set the terms of the relationship. You have to understand what's happened. The relationship has been set that way. It's been framed that way. It's a covenant. For you to have a relationship with me You have to either accept or say nothing about what I do. See how challenging witnesses is in all of this, right? So we think in order to keep the avenues open, we don't want them to be lost. We don't want to drive them away. We don't want to be a catalyst to make things worse. But what we have to realize up front is, is that it's wrong, it's a wrong way to look at things to begin with. If someone has chosen a path of unrepentant sin, that's a path of being lost already. Do you do we understand that? Do we appreciate that? If you've chosen to justify living in unrepentant sin in rebellion against God, that person is lost right now. That person is not found right now. They are lost. And their relationship has been severely compromised because there's been a decision on their part to depart from something that they know is right and have pursued now that they know is wrong. This is why James says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, see, Whoever, know know this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So that person has been saved. That person has been delivered from their lost choice that they have made to go into the pigsty. The first ditch is to accept that lie. That the only way the relationship can be maintained is if you agree to a covenant of silence or tolerance on the matter. That's the first ditch of error in this. Those are terms we can't accept. That's what makes this difficult. And we'll talk in a minute about how to handle that. The other ditch is complete avoidance. (laughs) That's the other ditch. So we say, this person has chosen to live in disgusting, perverse sins. I really don't want anything to do with them. and i think that that is sometimes how the church has been viewed in dealing with the sins of the culture just keep that stuff far away from me i'm good you know there are a lot of people who do think that way and i think it's hard for to be fair for older generations look at the witness they had to deal with in the 60s you're dealing with with Woodstock hippies maybe you're dealing with certain things that you know, didn't progress to the degree of things today, that's a real hard pill to swallow for an older generation that looks at this and says, I can't even believe it's got to this degree. Leave that witness to the younger generation. I don't know how to even deal with that. I don't even know how to speak to those things. Further, it gets more complicated when it comes to those who know better and have been raised in the faith, and adopted the cultural views of the sexual revolution, as opposed to those who don't know any better. See, this comes with a lot of levels of concernment here, discernment in how to address people where they are. In other words, how do we respond to those on the inside, and how do we respond to those on the outside? There's a different response. And that's an important distinction to work through. Paul, Paul does that in 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Okay? Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. So how we are to respond to those of who are actually in the world is different, is what he said. I'm not saying don't associate with, with the worldly people who have made choices to live this way. No, because then you'd have no witness. Then, then you'd have to leave the world. Then you'd have to huddle up like monks. Then you'd have to, to do the, that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. We dine with the tax collectors and sinners. We, we witness to the tax collectors and sinners. This was Jesus. Jesus was, was constantly ridiculed for this. That fellow hangs out with the drunkards. That fellow hangs out with sexually immoral people. He was constantly beat for this. This is an important distinction. He makes an important distinction there. You'll notice this in verse 11. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slander or drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a person. So he makes this distinction there that there are those raised in the church who claim to be Christians, who know better, and decide and say, I can be and live any way I want to live, and don't tell me that's not Christian. That's a different kind of response, Paul says. I mean, what do we do with a covenant child who knows better and was raised in this and claims to be a Christian and lives in these things? What do we do? Paul says, well, That fellowship, that koinonia, that bond that you have as brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't just act like it's all good. Because it's not. They know that what they're doing is wrong. That's different. And there has to be an appropriate response on our part. They were raised better. They profess faith. They knew the truth. And now they've chosen total darkness. Now that doesn't mean shun. See, this is the hard, see the wisdom in this. It doesn't mean shun them. It doesn't mean never have anything to do with them. It doesn't mean never speak to them. And there are some churches that have fallen into that. It means that the relationship is not the same as the fellowship, the koinonia, You have with your brothers and sisters in Christ when somebody says, I'm a Christian and I can go live any way I want and be that. So you see the the wisdom that has to be in witness when it comes to this. And that's what I want us to think about here is how we approach these things and how with all that qualification in the background, that's why I said, how do we love people then who are choosing To live in sin and when i say live in sin i hope i hope it's clear all of us are sinners all of us sin all of us do pretty bad things there's a fundamental difference repentance is a change of mind there's a fundamental difference from saying i agree that what i'm doing is wrong And I am repenting of that. I am fighting that sin. I am hating that sin. I'm going to battle against that sin. And I I may struggle. I may fall. I may sin. And I come back to the throne of grace and confess my sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's, That's right. That's good. That's the goal. The response of, hey, back off. You're judgmental. Don't tell me, to, I can do, I can live any way I want. That's the kind of thing of what we're talking about, living in sin, unrepentant and not caring about the law of God or caring about the will of God and choosing the path of sin and justifying it with whatever amount of justification somebody wants to give. So I, I hope that's clear in this. So the question then is, how do we love people who are living in sin? How do we, how do, we do that? And the first thing I said here, which generally applies in all cases, we should not avoid or shun those mastered by sexual sin. That's important. In none of these scenarios, even if it's someone who knows better, we're not simply avoiding and shunning at all costs. We're remembering the goal. What's the goal? Why would we take a stand? Why would we say, no, I can't have the fellowship that we once had. I can't act like this is okay. Why would we say that that's wrong, as hard as that is? Well, the goal is not to simply avoid or shun people. This is why Jesus was was out, as I said, with great sinners and tax collectors. One thing is clear from our Lord. His whole ministry was to seek and to save that which is lost. That was the heart of his ministry, and so the larger reason for our involvement in people's lives is to love them the way that we're called to love them, and desire for them to know the truth, and desire for that truth to set that set them free, as it has set us free. That's why I said caring's half the battle. Nobody can say, you know, I'm just not, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at witness. Nobody's good at witness. I'm a pastor, and I'm not good at witness. It's not about being good. Half the battle is simply caring for the lost. Half the battle is simply caring for somebody who's in it. So what is the responsibility when it comes to witness on these things? Well, as I search the New Testament, I see two things to do when it comes to helping people out of paths of sin like this. And and notice what I said here. How do we help? Um. What I said here in the catechism catechism is we should speak the truth in love about sexual sin, repentance, and faith in Christ, giving witness to the deliverance that God gave us from our own sins. Part of the great challenge with witness is the sense and this idea in evangelism that what we are supposed to try to do is convince people to follow christ and that's going to come with a nasty confrontation and therefore the whole thing is sort of assumed to be if people are in this in this walk and doing these things any sort of approach is going to be a nasty confrontation and an abrasive confrontation over their life and that's where i want to say that's that should never be on our part sure there can be confrontation there's rebuke that the Paul talked about that's one of the elders' responsibilities when it comes to these things. Uh, Rebuke, exhort. Um, It may happen in response to our concern and care, but that's not what we're doing in the sense of having a nasty, abrasive confrontation with them in that way. It may come out that way, but the point is, it's supposed to come out in every case of addressing somebody's sin. Did you notice how many times it says, do it with a spirit of gentleness? Every time. When witness comes across as sort of us versus them, it'll never work. It has to be us for them and helping them. And that's why I say one of the most powerful ways of witness is, what do we think of witness? It's to tell them what God's going to do for them. Not first. The best way of witness is to tell others what God has done for you. This is what Jesus told the demoniac. The guy had been cutting himself up in the tombs. Had chains on him. No one could bind the man. He was demonic, depressed, um, possessed. Nobody had the strength to set that man free. Nobody. Jesus comes to the catacombs and comes running, and Jesus sends the swine down the hill. You know the story. The imagery after that is really powerful. All the people are standing there deathly afraid if this guy has this much power, he has that much power to change somebody's life? I think they were afraid because they wondered what it meant for them. The demoniac sitting there. He didn't want to leave his Savior. And Jesus said to him, I want you to go tell others the wonderful things God has done for you. That's witness. That's witness. You know, Paul was on trial for his faith. He did this three times. He told his own story. He told his story of deliverance. He rehearsed how God blinded him on that road to Damascus. And scales fell from his eyes, symbolic of regeneration. Regeneration and how the Lord delivered him, and now he's a preacher to the, to the Gentiles. God gave him eyes. Every one of you have that story. You have to have that story. You have to have that story that you've been redeemed. You have to know what you've been saved from. Have you ever repented of anything? Can you tell someone about that? Do you have witness of God's deliverance in your lives from any form of sexual sin? Or are we too embarrassed? It's it's all over the scripture. Are we too puffed up with pride and and, and that we can't even talk about these things? You better have a deliverance story to be able to help somebody (laughs) in your own life. Surely you can speak of faith in Christ. Surely you can speak of what he's done for you. Surely you could tell somebody else how God delivered you. That's basic to Christianity. Think of Paul. Think of Paul. This is everywhere. For I, you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How? What did I do? I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own, in my own age, among my own people, and was extremely zealous for all the traditions of my fathers. Here's a story. I was in the church for a long time, and I just played the tradition game. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, grace given to me before time began, Oh, man, that's a story. The hard part is just getting over feeling like a fool, <laughs> right? Just getting over feeling like a fool. Learning what it means that our speech needs to be seasoned with salt and grace. You know, There was a man I knew at one time. When you talk to him, he was so seasoned with grace and, and full of his speech and grace. You had a sense that he, he really cared about you. And wanted you to know what he did. And um, everything in his speech seemed to have that aim, you know. We get together, and not to chide, I'm I'm just as guilty of this. We talk about everything else. We talk about our jobs. We talk about sports. We talk about money. We talk about economy. We talk about politics. It's almost as like we're embarrassed to talk about our faith. To speak about the most important things in life. When it comes to witness, it begins with prioritizing what is most important. People make excuses all the time, you know, to, to not do something in life, right? Um, you might think of an event, and uh, the right response is, well, people usually get to where they want to go. <laughs> and they go and do what they want to do. Even when they say they're busy all the time, they always get to where they want to go. They always get to where they want to do. You know, that's just the reality of people. Well, people also in reality talk about what is most important to them. What touches their real experience. Think of Peter. You want to go somewhere else? How could we? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? I want to talk about that. So that's the first thing. It's the first responsibility when you look at witnesses, is is to speak of the things that you know. Let that light shine before them. That speech should fill us. But second, this is why I cited 1 Peter, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. There's, there's such an important, important verse for the second great responsibility. Here's, I think, where, at least historically for me, I've been wrong about witness. The New Testament, across the board, assumes that people will be coming to us and asking questions. To which you have to say, if we're never getting any questions, why not? Why not? If you don't know anyone in the world, you see, if you're not making any efforts to get any questions, there's a reason. You're not getting questions. The New Testament assumes the questions will come. It doesn't present witness as if we're forcibly pushing ourselves on people. I I think Sinclair Ferguson made this point so well when he preached here not so long ago. It's just right. They see something about us. They see something about the way we, we respond. They see something about our lives. They see something about who we are. And they ask questions. Which presupposes that you have to be somewhat out there. <laughs> what do they see? Well, as we speak, it's a, it's a, I just had this. I just had this. This is not in my notes, so I'm always in danger when I do these things. The guy at the gym comes up to me. He says, Chris, now this is really, this is not anything that you can jump on. But he says, Chris, there's something about you. I feel like when I'm around you, I get a lot of light. I'm like, oh well, that's I don't know if that's true, but he says, you know. He says, I, "I have some questions. Can we meet?" So I said, <laughs> "Handed to me, you know." So we go to coffee. Name's Tommy. We go to Starbucks, and he says, "You know, he says I'm I'm really struggling with life. I've lost my job." He says, "How do you how do you maintain? How do you how do you keep so so up?" He says, "Do you have a Bible?" So I gave him a Bible. He's been reading the Bible. He had questions. Well, personally, I think this is why hospitality is so emphasized in the New Testament. (laughs) It's bound up with witness to strangers. But as I said in the Catechism, our own deliverance, we perform acts of kindness by our godly living, we should seek to win our neighbors over to Christ. And notice what they're asking about, though. Notice what Peter says they're going to ask about. Peter says they're going to ask about hope. I got my sins ruining my life. I spent a lot of time looking at the sexual revolution. I've gone through the statistics. I've gone through what's happening. This movement is unsustainable. This movement is unsustainable. You can't redefine the family and think there won't be catastrophic results. God ordained it. People will be unfulfilled. People will wreck their bodies. Some will become sick. People in general will find that trying to build a home this way will not work. In other words, it's going to break down society in ways we've not seen. You can't destroy marriage and think it's going to go well. You see why I said one of your greatest witnesses at the moment is not rocket science. <laughs> it is in your ever station you are in life to walk with Christ and to maintain that witness. Love your wives, husbands. Wives, love your, uh, your husbands. Trust Christ. Enjoy him. Don't walk around like a grump. You've got a reason to rejoice every day. You get up. Commune at his table. Make that a priority. Be at church. Be fed with the word. Enjoy your families. Live in the joy of this comfort. Heidelberg, Lord's Day 1. Your witness will stand out in this culture like nobody else's. And God will put struggling people in your lives with questions. You're not going to have to go find it. It's right in front of you right now. Are you happy? Does your marriage work? How did that happen? What is this forgiveness thing? You know, most of these people around you don't even have a Bible. That witness starts at home right with our own children. They're already there. Are we giving time to answer them, the questions they have for the hope that they need? This is our great responsibility to those in sin. Notice in none of these calls is there ever an angry approach or an arrogant one, but a kind and a merciful one. Because where would we be without the grace of God in our lives? I also want to say this, right after Peter said this, give an answer, do it with gentleness and respect. Same thing in Galatians. Brothers, if anyone's caught in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with gentleness, lest you be overtaken in some trespass. We are just as prone to this. Well, that has to be our approach. And Peter says, so that you have a good conscience. That when you're slandered, this is important to close out. You have to accept today and we've had a hard time accepting this, you have to accept if you're going to have any backbone in you and you're going to have any courage in this faith that you are going to be hated for your convictions, that you are going to be called a bigot, that you are going to be called in this church environment of being arrogant, that you're going to be called narrow-minded, that you're going to be called as advancing hate speech. Well, sometimes I think we're so concerned We can't even get past the idea that our convictions are called mean. And so we say, oh, just love, just love, as if that's magic. You will be called this. Well, our responsibility still is to do it with gentleness and merciful, being kind, compassionate, slow to anger like our Lord. That's why Peter says, make sure your life is in line and your witness if we're living in hypocrisy and our failures can be pointed out and if they are, can be placarded before everyone else, that will be an easy way for them to disregard our entire message. Don't give it to them. He says that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, we are so walking with our Lord by grace, repenting of our own sins, trusting in Christ, being kind and merciful and compassionate, offering hospitality, that their hatred of our beliefs exposes their own shame. Finally, tonight I say this, remember the goal. We are seeking to win over our neighbors, I put in that last line, to Christ. He has that much power. Do we believe that? There is freedom with him. There is power with him. There is forgiveness with Him. We want the best for people. We have a burdening heart for people. That's why, you know, I've said before when I went into ministry and they asked me that question, when you're at the mall, Chris, what do you see? And I knew exactly what the questioner was asking. Dead men walking around. They need life. They need salvation. May we have confidence And who we are as God's people, believing that Christ said, you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. May we be people of truth. May we be people who tell the truth and by by God's grace, may they and those whom God puts in our lives be people who are set free as we have been set free. Let's pray to the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, Help us, for we're weak. And we are so thankful for the privilege of being identified and taking on the name of Christian as a Christ follower. Help us, O Lord, to speak the truth in love. Give us wisdom, for this takes a lot of wisdom to know how to address people in their different circumstances and scenarios. But may we care. And we pray that you would put people in our lives, Lord. Who we can tell how you have delivered us. And we can give an answer for the hope that they need. And O Lord that they would ask the right questions again. Maybe we need to talk about the right answers for people to ask for the right right questions. So turn our speech again to what's most important. And if there's any O Lord in our families, in our lives, friends, neighbors who have chosen this path. We pray, O Lord, that through our response and the way that you open these doors, but not being compromised, you would turn them back to you. Help us, O Lord, for we're weak. And may this place be filled with those, O Lord, as we're speaking the truth of those who have sought and found by your gracious, sovereign hand, salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.